I've actually been enjoying grappling again with the incarnation because in my wrestling, I've been challenged to reconsider both the gift of the Son, but also the ways in which I am receiving him. I've been reminded that as Christians, the season isn't about celebrating Jesus just as a gift given 2,000 years ago, but rather as an active present present, if you will, that each year we are invited again to remember and celebrate and receive anew this wondrous gift of God. Actually, this contemplation got me a little bit in trouble this week. I was sitting at a stoplight only to be abruptly jolted out of my thoughts when there were multiple cars behind me honking their horns because the light had turned green and I wasn't going anywhere. I was too caught up listening to the words of a song playing on the radio, a carol that I have heard countless times and sung countless times throughout my life, but I never realized how intentional the author was in using active and present language. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him still. The dear Christ enters in. This whole idea of giving and receiving is really the basis for so many of our traditions during this time of year, is it not? We gather with friends and family to exchange gifts and to reciprocate acts of kindness and hospitality and goodwill. And it's largely in these interactions, these practices of giving and receiving that we mark these days as special. We're reminded during this time of year that giving is most certainly an art form. Receiving is an art form. And some of you have this gift in spades. I am not one of those people, but it is not for lack of effort, I assure you. And I will offer you this example as proof. A week after Jim and I were married in 1997, we moved 1,200 miles away from our home here in Indiana to Denver, Colorado. And as is the case for most young newlyweds, we had no money. So the whole aspect of gift giving at Christmas was looking a little bleak. We were excited to be flying home for the holidays thanks to the generosity of members of our family who made that possible. But this was our first Christmas as newlyweds and I knew enough about my new husband to realize that gifts were one of his primary love languages. So I wanted to do something special for this holiday. He was planning to begin his graduate studies that spring, and he'd somehow learned of this high-tech gadget that he thought would be the coolest thing to have as he returned to school. It was called a C-Pen. Now, mind you, technology was not nearly as prevalent or as advanced 20 years ago as it is today, so I'm guessing that those of you under the age of 30 won't be real impressed with the description of this device. But essentially, the C-Pen was a digital highlighter a personal scanner, if you will. You would run the pen over a sentence or a clause in a book or an article, and then it would remember that sentence. Later, you would plug the device into your computer. Yeah, you had to actually plug it in. There were no Bluetooth capabilities on this sucker. And then it would download everything you'd highlighted into one document so you had it all there together digitally. Revolutionary, huh? 
Well, this was all my avid reading, avid highlighting husband could talk of as he prepared to return to school. And so I started to secretly hide away money in the months before Christmas. I took on odd jobs for friends. I cleaned houses and I edited papers and I baked pies at Thanksgiving. Anything I could do to help raise the money I needed to get this gift for my husband. So once the money was collected, I then started the process of attempting to locate one of these apparently highly desired technical wonders. And I say highly desired because I went to over 15 stores in the Denver metropolitan area. Then I called 25 other stores in the general Colorado, Nebraska region and was finally directed to the world headquarters of an electronic superstore that brokered these things and was told by the representative that I was in luck. There was in fact one, one C-Pen left for retail purchase in the United States of America. And he advised me that all I needed to do was quickly get to that store and make my purchase for the holidays. One problem, the store where the C-Pen was located was 1,200 miles away and of all places, Indianapolis, Indiana. <laughs> now I'm gonna pause right here because inevitably somebody's gonna come up to me after the service and go, hey Emily, why didn't you just call a friend or a family member and ask them to go make that purchase for you? I don't have an answer to your question. The thought never occurred to me. Instead, I called the store in Indianapolis and I pleaded with the sales manager to hold the device for me. I told him that in just two weeks, I would be in Indiana for the holidays and I would come to his store and was more than willing to pay full price for this device that I knew would make my husband's holiday merry and bright. And I told him my flight information, I gave him my credit card number so that he would hold it. I probably offered him my firstborn child at this point because I was determined to get this gift. And I must have sounded really pathetic because after about 30 minutes of begging him, the guy relented and finally agreed to hold it for me. So two weeks later, Jim and I flew to Indiana. My dad picked us up at the Indianapolis airport. I let him in on this whole situation and told him that somehow, without Jim knowing about it, we had to get to this store very covertly. And I don't really remember what the cover story is. I only know that somehow my dad convinced Jim that he needed to go to a store that just happened to be adjacent from the electronics store and that he needed Jim to go in with him, but that I couldn't go. As soon as they were gone, I bolted from the car, ran across four lanes of highway traffic, dodging multiple vehicles, ran into the electronic superstore, met Scott, my newfound friend, then ran back across the highway, got into the car, hid the package, all before Jim and my dad got back into the car. And this was before cell phones, people. Be impressed. forward then to Christmas morning and I was like a school kid with ants in my pants. I don't even think Jim was awake before I had a package in front of his face saying, open it, open it. And he was of course elated and surprised it all get out. He asked me so many times how in the world I'd come up with the money for this thing, where I'd found it. He told me over and over again how this gift was going to revolutionize his graduate school experience. I had hit the jackpot in terms of gift giving. And I went even further that evening because I decided to tell him all the links I had gone to to get this thing. And he was even more impressed as a gift lover. I felt pretty accomplished. 
But why am I telling you the story and what does it have to do with the incarnation, you might be wondering. Well, let me tell you what happened following that memorable Christmas morning. The sea pen was never used. Not once. In fact, this week, as I recalled this story with Jim, he sat at our kitchen counter with a cup of coffee in his hand, cracking up laughing and saying, oh yeah, I think that thing's up in the attic somewhere, still in its box. I'm not trying to throw my husband under the bus by telling you the story. I know he's not the only one here who's ever received something and then never put it to use. But as this memory has resurfaced, during the season while I've been contemplating the active, present nature of the gift of the incarnation, there's been a nagging question in my mind. What good is an unused gift? According to the statistics from the Bureau of Labor, $1 billion worth of gift cards goes unused every year. A billion dollars! And that doesn't even include the gift cards that you get and then you re-gift to somebody else who actually uses them. And so I have to ask the question again, what good is giving or receiving something if it is never employed for the purposes for which it was intended? I think this is an important question that we as the church need to ask ourselves in preparing again this year to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Because far too often in the midst of our Christmas rituals and routines, I think we miss the fullness of all God is giving us and the totality of all that we are receiving in the gift of Jesus Christ. If the truth were told, I think we remember and reenact the reception of the humanity of Jesus Christ pretty well. We build live nativities and we tell the story of a baby who came to this world through a virgin, God in flesh, in our songs and in our sermons and in our special events. I have a niece whose claim to fame is that she was cast as the baby Jesus at age two months. And so even though the virgin birth is this baffling thing, we seem to have grown pretty comfortable receiving the gift of Christ's humanity. But what about the reception of Jesus the divine? Have you ever stopped to consider that those are two inseparable parts of the same gift? And with that being the case, maybe we need to step back and ask ourselves again, what exactly are we receiving in this package? We can imagine and explain receiving a baby without too much difficulty. We do it all the time. But how on earth do we begin to describe receiving God? The apostle John lends us an explanation in his first letter telling us, as was so beautifully demonstrated here before, that God is love. And in these words, he's not saying that love is merely the description of an activity of God. It's not just one of the many things he does, though God is most certainly loving. Instead, John is saying here that love is the nature of God. It is his essence and the substance of his being. So in other words, no matter what additional descriptors you might ascribe to him, it is impossible to separate God from love. 
Love has its origin in God. It flows from God. It finds its very meaning in God. God is love. So love then is the gift that God desires to share with his creation in the incarnation. It is the extension of himself for the sake of others. This is the thing that God desired to give his creation all along. We read throughout the Old Testament the many ways God expresses his love for his beloved. From creation to the exodus to Israel's long season of waiting, we see God communicating over and over again his love for his children. And in spite of humanity's inability to grasp this gift of God, he stays with it. And he promises that in due time, he will express his love himself in a way that will be unmistakable and complete and in a way that will finally convey his nature to his creation in a way that they can understand. Sometimes I wonder if we wrestle with the incarnation because sacrificial, purposeful giving seems to have been diminished in our current day and age and in our very materialistically privileged culture. I was thinking about the concept this week of secret Santa. You're assigned the responsibility of being a giver to a designated recipient. How intentional can this really be? My kids have had multiple secret Santa exchanges throughout their schooling years, and it sort of kills me every time. They come home with a piece of paper that they've drawn out of a hat that has the name of another student and a list of things the kid would like. There's no sense that my child needs to get to know this other person and figure out what they might like or need. It's more or less the passing on of a shopping list or putting an order through at the drive-through window. How about the white elephant gift exchange? You're expected to give something, but it doesn't need to be anything of any particular value to you or anybody else. It certainly doesn't need to be based on the need of another person. In fact, we always think of the best white elephant gifts as those that are funny, awkward even. We have a bin of these things in my laundry room at home that we just recycle every year. I'm certainly not trying to be a buzzkill on some of our fun holiday traditions, but I do want to recognize that the gift of Jesus was no ritualistic or haphazard offering on the part of God. This was the embodiment of God himself, the physical manifestation of love given in a package that could be received and understood by humanity, flesh and blood itself. God employed and enacted his love and the nature of his being in the person of Jesus Christ, John tells us. And yet so often when we speak of the incarnation and when we think about Christ coming to earth, I think we're tempted to focus mostly on Christ's humanity. It's like a package. We say, this is what I've always wanted because receiving Jesus is a pretty great thing. The package in itself is remarkable. And yet John challenges us to consider something that is contained within the gift, explaining that the love of God is not something merely to acquire or possess or that which can be contained in one form. 
He's pointing out that there's more to this package than we perhaps realize, going so far as to say that to receive this gift and then to leave it contained or unused is almost like rejecting the gift altogether. You see, the incarnation was not a momentary one-time offering. The purpose of the gift of Jesus Christ was hardly meant only for Bethlehem or only for the first century. But I think this is what we can inadvertently get hung up on if we focused only on the gift of Christ's humanity. Because then it's just this historical story that we tell year after year. But when we recognize the gift of the divine that is imparted to us through Jesus Christ, it is clear that there is something wonderfully unique and distinct about this offering. Think about it this way. The true delight we find in giving a significant gift to someone else is rarely in the immediate reaction they have to it or in the momentary relief or pleasure or advantage that that gift provides for the person we care about. I was thinking about the guy who presents an engagement ring to his girlfriend. His delight is far from contained only in her immediate reaction of surprise and joy. Because if that were the only point to the gift, if she were to just take the ring, say thank you, and then put it up on a shelf, certainly the significance of that gift would be lost. It's in presenting this gift to his beloved in the symbol of it that says there is something so much more here, something that is yet unknown, yet to be experienced, something far greater than can be contained in this moment or even in one significant promise. That moment and that promise find their value and meaning in all that is yet to come. The gift of the incarnate Christ was far more than just salvation, even though salvation is a pretty wonderful thing. Because in giving his son in human form, God is exemplifying the purpose of his love. He is letting us know that it is meant to be embodied and enacted, extended by all those who have received it to others. And so John goes on to explain that it's in this continued sharing of his gift, and only then, that the fullness and value of his son can be understood and impact the world. What good is an unused gift? Specifically, the gift of God who is love. I think for many of us, one of the great temptations of Advent is to await and anticipate the gift of the baby Jesus, fully human, without entering into this season as a time of preparation for what the Christ child, fully divine, makes possible in and through us. I've been wondering what would happen if we realized that in receiving Jesus, we are fully and willfully entering into the love of the Father, a love that is an unconditional, unbounded, unrestrained love, a love that is wholly realized only when it is shared with others. What would that make possible in and through us? What people that I currently find incredibly difficult to love would I find myself purposefully engaging? Not because of anything I believe that I can say or do, 
but because of what I understand God makes possible in and through me. For others of us, I think the temptation is to be afraid to give this gift of love to others for fear we're not ready yet to be conduits of, of such an amazing entrustment. But if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you that just as that baby born in Bethlehem grew in wisdom and in stature, so our love, John says, our love that is rooted in God will continue to be refined and perfected. His love is not a standard for us to live up to or something that we are to strive to accomplish in our own strength. Rather, God's love is the source of power and strength that we are invited into. It makes possible in us what is otherwise utterly impossible. And so with each expression of our love for others, God's gift can be more fully realized and known by others. God can be known by others. God can be known as love. What good is an unused gift? And perhaps more importantly, what is undiscovered and unknown and unexperienced when we don't embody and employ the gift of God and his love once we have experienced it? John said that God's love is made complete in us, that it is brought to full expression in our love for one another. And so that sort of begs the question for me, what patience and kindness what humility and selflessness, what forgiveness and justice and hope and truth will be missing from our homes and our neighborhoods and our workplaces and even our church if we receive Christ again this Christmas and then just sort of set it aside. Thankful that we have it, but never unleashing its potential on the world. It's my deepest prayer this Advent that we would prepare ourselves to receive not only Jesus in flesh, but Jesus the divine this Christmas. And that as we receive this gift anew, we would recognize that we are taken into the loving community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, making possible the love of God in and through us. Will you pray with me? Holy God, in this season of Advent, we remember the gift of your love through Jesus Christ and we anticipate the fulfillment of your promise to return. That's another demonstration of your great love. God, we confess that sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the incarnation and the depths of your love that would compel you to take such extreme measures to reveal yourself to us, to reveal your love to us. And so we pray that you would help us to recognize that in receiving you, we are taken into the stream of your great love. We are capable of loving others through you and like you. Help us to enact and embody the gift we receive this Christmas through Jesus Christ by your Holy Spirit, we pray, so that your love might be made complete in us. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen.